This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now. So, this country's in um, in real trouble. You know, that's nothing new. We, we, after all, we elected Donald Trump with the hope of fixing all these problems. Uh, doesn't look like it's happening. It looks like we're only sinking deeper and deeper into greater and greater problems. You know, we're not respected overseas. Our economy is floundering, has been floundering for years, really, since the financial crisis. Our social liberties are under attack, uh, you know, in every dimension. This country is in trouble. You look left, you look right. It doesn't matter. Democrats, Republicans, they, they don't get along, of course. But they don't get along within the parties either. They hate each other. Nothing, nothing positive seems to be happening. At least not in politics. At least not in, you know, the picture of what is America. We seem to be a nation in decline. And that's tragic. That is unbelievably tragic. Because I believe, I believe, as I think all of you believe, that this is the greatest country in human history. This is the greatest country that has ever existed. And if we're in decline, where do you go from there? All right, we're going to be talking a lot about American decline and what the solutions are for that decline. You're listening to your Brook Show, and this is my first show on the Blaze Radio Network. I'm excited. Hopefully, you will get excited. I want to spend this first segment uh, introducing myself, letting you know who I am, what my perspective is, what what approach I take to, to, to viewing the world, analyzing the news, analyzing what is going on in the world around us. I hope I hope to turn you all into, into regular listeners. Uh, you, you know, you can also get this on uh, by, it, it'll be up on iTunes and other podcasting apps and on The Blaze, and so you can listen to it anytime. But it would be cool if we got a good, a good audience of live listeners who actually could call in and engage in some discussion. If you do want to call in, 888 888- 900-3393-888-900-3393 to get into the discussion. So let me tell you a little bit about me. Well, obviously, I have a, a bit of a strange name. What is this Yaron uh, name? Uh, so I was born in Israel, born in Israel, raised in Israel, lived most of my early life in Israel, uh, served in the Israeli army uh, in military intelligence. Uh, I think I bring, and you'll see in the show as, as we talk over the weeks, 
a unique perspective, particularly on the Middle East, on what is happening there and how to deal with terrorism and how to deal with this nutty, crazy, insane region of the world and how America should really handle itself uh, in that world. I uh, got an got a undergraduate degree in civil engineering. It, it's hard to believe. It seems like a, a separate life, a different life. I got that degree in Israel, but I knew, I knew from the age of 16 that I wanted to come to the United States of America, that I wanted to live in the greatest country in human history, that I wanted to live in the freest, or at least what I thought at the time, was the freest country in the world. And, and, and that happened because I read a particular book. And maybe some of you have read this book. My guess is many of you have probably read the book. Some of you might have read it when you were young and, and forgotten about it. Some of you might have read it during the financial crisis uh, when everybody was had this real existential angst. Uh, the book was Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Changed my life. I don't know what it did to you, but it changed my life. Before I read the book, like most Israelis growing up in Israel, I was a socialist. I was a collectivist. I strongly believed in a notion of sacrificing for my country, sacrificing for my tribe, sacrificing for my religion. As you'll see as we go along across the show, I don't believe in any of those anymore. Atlas Shrugged changed me completely. It turned me into a freedom-loving, liberty-loving capitalist. It turned me into somebody who takes his own life really, really seriously. And at that point, when I read that book, I realized that my responsibility in life, my goal in life, was to live the best life that I could live, to be the best that I could be, and to live in the country that provided me with the best opportunities there were in the world. And that was not Israel. Israel's too small. Eh, lots of problems with Israel we can get into it sometimes. Too socialist, too controlling. And America was my dream country. So how to get to America, that's, that's a challenge. We'll talk about immigration, I'm sure, uh, as the weeks go by. Uh, because, you know, I wanted to immigrate to America. How do you do that? It's hard. So I'm, I came to study. I came to study not primarily because I wanted to study, but mainly because I viewed it as an entree into this great country, an entree into a better life. Now, some of you... Some of you will resent me for that, I know. The people out there who hate immigrants or resent immigrants, resent people who want to come into this country. I don't. I love immigrants. Love immigrants. So I came, got an MBA, PhD and in finance. So we can talk economics, we can talk finance at the University of Texas, Austin, Hook'em Horns, and um, when I became a professor of finance. And amazingly, amazingly, in uh, 2000, I was offered the job of running the Ayn Rand Institute. So this book that I read in, at 16, Atlas Shrugged, this book that, I, that changed my life, this philosophy that's represented in this book that I'd studied all those years, I got now an opportunity to lead the organization that was promoting these ideas, that was promoting the ideas of Ayn Rand, promoting the ideas of Atlas Shrugged. And I've been doing that in one form or another since then. I'm now the executive chairman of the Ayn Rand Institute, and um, you will hear a lot of Ayn Rand during this talk. So if you read Atlas Shrugged, if she intrigues you, if, she's, if you find her ideas interesting, this is the show to listen to, because this is the show, the only show probably, anyway, it might be a couple of exceptions here and there, where you will get an analysis of today's events, of today's world, 
from an Atlas Shrugged perspective, from an Ayn Rand perspective. This is the show where you can call in with questions about Atlas Shrugged, about Ayn Rand, about how to view her philosophy and how to integrate her philosophy with what's happening in the crazy, crazy world we live in. So what do I believe in? What is that? And I'm going to do this very quickly and because you'll, you'll, you'll figure that out as we go along slowly. But let me do that. And, and um, just quickly, what do I believe in? I'm a capitalist. I, but when I say I'm a capitalist, I'm just not, you know, your, your normal capitalist. I'm not just a guy who thinks, oh, we need a little bit of free markets. We need to deregulate. We need to lower taxes. I'm a radical. I'm a radical for capitalism. I want something that I wish the Founding Fathers had included in the Constitution. And I think if they were alive today, they would be on my side on this issue. I want a complete, a complete separation of state from economics. I mean, in many ways, I want a complete separation of state, of government from my life. The only thing I want government to do, the only thing I want government to do is to protect me, is to protect you. Government is there to protect our rights. I think that was the founder's intent. Government is there to protect our rights. I want a police, I want a military, I want a judiciary, but I want the government out of my life otherwise. I don't want it regulating. I don't want it redistributing wealth. I am a radical for capitalism. And the reason I'm a radical for capitalism, by the way, we'll get a lot into the radical for capitalism later today on this show as we go along. But... The reason I'm a radical for capitalism is because I value my life. I believe that every individual's responsibility, moral responsibility, ethical responsibility, is to live his life the best that he can do it. And to do that, every one of us needs to be free. Every one of us needs to be free to make the value choices that we need to make to make our lives better. Every one of us needs to be free to act, to achieve those values. So I value freedom. I value capitalism because I value my own life. I value your life and your right, your moral right to pursue the values you believe in free of government or your neighbor's intervention, free of coercion, free of force, free of authority. All right, so that's kind of brief, very brief introduction. When we get back, we're going to talk about my vision, what I see as the essence of America. You're listening to the Iran Brook Show. We'll be right back after this break. Best-selling author, prolific media contributor, PhD in finance. This is the Iran Brook Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951.
So you're listening to the Yaron Book Show. So one way in which we know that this country is in trouble and this country is in decline is to compare where we are today and how much the government does today and what the government does today, kind of the scope and the 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 the, the, the level of involvement the government has to, in our lives today with the vision of what America was supposed to be, the founding father's vision of what America is. And, and what is it? What is it that makes America? What is it that makes America the greatest country in human history? What is it that makes America? Ayn Rand called it the only moral country, the only country founded on a morality in human history. What was that morality? What, what is that essential core of, of the founder's vision for the United States of America. And I think, I think it's important to understand this because I don't think people get it. I don't think people, I don't think people know. I, 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 our kids don't know any American history. They have no understanding of the core foundational principles on which this country was founded. And if we don't educate our kids, if our kids don't know that, and by the way, I don't think you parents know it either, really, then, because I don't think it's been taught for generations, then how are we going to save this country? We, we don't know what to save it from, and we don't know what to save it to. We don't, we don't have a vision for what, I'm, what is possible for America. You know, and it's, it, you can say, make America great again, and you can put it on T-shirts, and you can put it on hats, and you can trot around and, 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 and yell it and yell it and, and pretend that you know what it means. But President Trump has no clue what makes America great. Donald Trump has no clue what made America great. And unfortunately, most of his supporters, I don't think, know what made America great. And therefore, they don't know what to do, how to, how to bring it back again, how to bring that greatness, that essential greatness back. So what is it? What is it that made America great? What did the founders, what kind of country did the founders create? What, what were they trying to achieve? Well, you have to go, I believe, back to the Declaration of Independence to really understand it. Not so much the Constitution. Constitution, you cannot understand without really understanding the Declaration of Independence. Because the Declaration of Independence is the short, succinct document that presents the essentials of the political philosophy, the vision, the ideal that the Founding Fathers held. It was a document written to frame why independence, why a war for independence was necessary, was needed. And what is the key idea of the Declaration of Independence? The key idea of the Declaration of Independence, the thing that made America the greatest country in human history, the thing that makes America in its founding the only moral country really to be established in human history, fully moral, is this idea that the purpose of government is to protect individual rights. It is the first country to recognize in its founding documents the idea that every individual, every individual, has rights, the right to his own life. What does that mean? What does that mean to say you have a right to your own life? It means you have a right to live your life as you see fit pursuing the values you believe are necessary for your survival and thriving. It means that you have a right to use your mind to figure out 
What you need in order to thrive. What you need in order to be a good human being. What you need in order to succeed in life. Nobody has a right. Nobody has a right to interfere. Nobody has a right to tell you no and to force you to behave differently than the way you'd want to behave. Nobody has a right to interfere with your pursuit of your values, whether they like your values or they don't like your values, whether they agree with you or don't agree with you. As long as you are not hurting other people, as long as you are not violating their rights by using physical force against them or committing fraud against them, it's none of anybody's business what you do. But the essential here is not that negative sense. The essential here is a positive. The essential here is that there are certain rational values that human beings need to pursue in order to be successful in their own life, in order to live a good life, in order to survive and thrive. And that individual human beings must be free in order to be able to pursue those values. You must be free in order to be able to succeed in life. And that is what individual rights are trying to protect. They're trying to protect that freedom of action, that freedom of choice, to choose your values and act on those values. And leave your, and the whole idea is the government then and your neighbors must leave you alone to do that. So you have a right to your own life. You have a right to live it as you see fit. Not to be told what business you can start and what not, what you need a license for and what you're not, what you can say and what you can't say, what, how much to pay your employees or how much not to pay your employees, you know, and what to think and what not to think and what ideas to hold and what not idea, what ideas to reject. All of that, this country was founded on the idea that you should be free to pursue. You have a right to liberty. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, right? Liberty, to think what you want to think, to say what you want to say, to write what you want to write. Free of government coercion. Free of fear, right? You should be able to draw a cartoon of Muhammad in the United States of America and have the full protection of the U.S. government when the terrorists try to kill you. Our government should never apologize for anything an American says. So you have, you have the freedom to say, think, write, draw, do what you want to do. And the government is there to protect that right. So freedom of the press, freedom of the press, even if they, even if they come up with fake news, right? Show it's fake news. Condemn them for the fake news. But the government has no right to intervene. The government has no right. And we'll talk about, you know, Donald Trump and, and, and his attacks on the media. We'll talk about the media and how biased and really corrupt it really is. But what role does government have to play here? I'd say none. None. You don't, you, you don't read the New York Times if you think it's fake news. Don't read Breitbart if you think it's fake news. I think both of them, uh, not so much fake news, but both are unbelievably biased in different directions. I don't read them. Or I read them with a careful, careful, careful eye, right? You have a right to pursue your own happiness. Now this to me is the most, the most important, this idea that the purpose of our life is happiness. That we have an inalienable right, a right that cannot be taken from us by anyone to pursue that happiness. Wow, wow, that is so crucial.
That's what life's about. What's life's about? It's not about sacrifice. It's not about duty. It's not about, you know, patriotism, doing what the state wants you, what the government wants you, or, 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 or what the country needs. It's about you. It's about pursuing your values. It's about living the best life you can live. It's about making the most of the one life we all have as individuals. So the pursuit of happiness. Wow, what a beautiful statement. We have an inalienable right to pursue our own happiness, not the groups, not our neighbors, not our brothers, not our friends, not anybody else's our own. What a liberating idea. Maybe the most I- important idea at the heart of the creation of the people come here. I came here to pursue my happiness. I came here to live, to make the best life I could in pursuit of that happiness. So when we get back, we're going to talk about how it all went wrong, why it all went wrong, and where do you go from here. All right, you're listening to the Iran Brook Show, and uh, we're going to be back right after this break. Iran Brook on the Blaze Radio Network. The Yaron Rook Show. So we're talking about the greatness of America. Why America is the greatest country in human history. And I believe it's the greatest country in human history, not because of its geography, not because of the people here, not because of the specific individuals, although, you know, it's, it, you have to give credit to the founding fathers. It's the greatest country in human history because it was the first country founded on the principle of individual rights. It's the first country in human history founded on the principle of individual freedom, on the principle that the only role of government is to protect us, otherwise leave us alone. And you can track, in a sense, the decline of America. You can track the decline based on the idea of how much government has stopped protecting our rights and has started violating them. And indeed, if you read Madison and Jefferson and many of the founding fathers, as everybody should, you will discover that when they, when they, when they expressed worry about the future of America, when they expressed worry about the future of this experiment that they were engaging in, they understood that the number one enemy of America was its own government, was the tendency of democracy the tendency of the people, and ultimately the tendency of the government was to engage in rights violation, whether it's through redistribution of wealth, whether it's through regulation of behavior, whether it's through telling us what to think and what to say and how to do things. That is, and that's what's happened. 200 and something years ago, slowly, slow, slow erosion, primarily I'd say over the last, what, 120 years or so, Suddenly, the last hundred years, we've been in slow, steady, almost uninterrupted decline, a decline that is only accelerating with the last three presidents, Bush, Obama, and Trump. Anyway, we'll get, we'll get into my views on Bush, Obama, and Trump 
as the weeks go by. Well, we, we, we have a caller. Uh, Moshi, I think, wants to call it, talk about radical capitalism. And uh, do we have Moshi on the line? Hey, Moshi. Can't hear Moshi it. from Ch- Chicago. Oh, there you are. Hey, Moshi from Chicago. Listen, I'm I'm all for making money. I'm all for uh, capitalism, but you take it too far. And this is what Ayn Rand and and a lot of libertarians take it too far because it's extreme. You know, you're extremist, and we end up being just like the guys on the left because you're you're an ex- you end up being extremist. And if you want to know the, you talked about the financial crisis, but what caused the financial crisis? It was. It was greed, and it was extremism of capitalism. So I'm all for capitalism. I'm glad you're on the blaze. It's important, but, you know, you're just, it's just extremism. Yeah, no, I know. I get you, Moshi. I am a radical. I'm not one of these, uh, these popular uh, capitalists who claim to be capitalists and then sell out on capitalism uh, as soon as they encounter a little problem like the financial crisis because they can't explain it. So they say, oh, well, we need a, we need a, we need a moderate capitalism. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm a radical. I believe in this because I believe fundamentally, and we can talk and we will talk about the financial crisis, but I believe fundamentally in individual freedom. It's not the government's business to tell me what kind of a loan I can or cannot take. And it's not their business to take money from you to subsidize me so I can buy a home. I should be able to buy a home by saving money, by having good credit, by going to the bank and convincing me, convincing them to lend me, lend me some money. I don't need a, a you know, a, a Freddie and Fannie and federal home loan and all the, all the ways in which the government subsidizes and therefore controls the housing industry or subsidizes and controls and regulates the banking industry, the principle of America, and we can get into the economics of the financial crisis. I'm happy to do that. I, I, I've got out there. You can look it up. I've got like a six-hour course on the causes of the financial crisis. Had nothing to do with capitalism, by the way. Nothing to do with free markets. There were no free markets. The two industries that failed, housing and finance, are the most regulated industries in the United States. So why, when they failed, did we blame markets? We should have blamed the regulations. It's not an accident that these crises happen in regulated, controlled situations, in regulated, controlled markets. Free markets work. Free markets work everywhere. Anyway, my point was, because I don't want to get into economics too much right now. My point well, was... I'm, I'm nervous, but I'll be listening and... Well, keep listening, and I hope I make you nervous. Look, look, this is radical. This is stuff you, you don't hear anywhere else. Nobody else out there on the, on the radio is going to say, we need a complete separation of state from economics. Nobody out there is going to defend the individual's right to pursue his own happiness as he sees fit without state local government intervention in our lives. I want freedom. I take the ideas of individual rights and freedom that we learned from the founders seriously. And I want to try to explain to you why they're so fundamental, why they're so essential, why we need freedom, not just because it sounds good, not just because the founders said so, but we're going to delve deeper during the show in future episodes and to what freedom means, why it's so important, why as a species, as human beings, we need, we have to have freedom in order to survive and in order to thrive. We'll be and I'm all about thriving. Thanks so much for having me on. No, anytime. Thanks, uh, thanks Moshi, for, Moshi in Chicago uh, for calling in. I appreciate it. So keep listening. 
Because, and, and you're going to get upset. I'm going to say stuff that upsets people. I know that people out there listening go, big Donald Trump fans. I am not. I know that people out there listening, I hope there's some people out there listening who are Obama fans. I am not. And maybe even some people have a memory of uh, George W. Bush, who I despise. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be different. It's going to be challenging for you people. And I'm going to say things that upset you, but please call in 888 888- 900-3393. Thank you, Moshi, for being my first caller. 888-900-3393. Call in, talk about anything. But uh, So this vision of America, a, a country that protects my freedom, that leaves me alone. Think of the pioneers in the 19th century. Think of people going out there and exploring and, 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 and creating a life for themselves on their own terms without asking for permission without getting approval. I mean, imagine Thomas Jefferson today trying to invent everything he invented. I mean, the regulators would shut him down on day one. I'm sure he didn't wear goggles when he did his experiments. I'm sure his safety stuff was not up to par. I mean, at every, at every step, right, Today, we just don't have the kind of freedom, even in America, that we had, even in America, just 100, 150 years ago. Now, there were problems even back then, and, and, and let, me just, let me just mention this, right, so just so, just so we're clear. The biggest problem in the founding of America, in my view, the biggest problem at the foundation of this country was the compromise they made, the founders made about slavery. Because while they recognized that every individual has an inalienable right to life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness, they denied those rights. They infringed on those rights. They used coercion and force to prevent the exercise of those rights by blacks in America, by keeping the institution of slavery around. The greatest evil this country committed was the extension of slavery. And of course, it paid for it. We paid dearly for it. We paid with the Civil War. 600,000 young Americans died in order to undo the compromise at the founding of this country. In spite of that, still the greatest country in human history, in spite of that, set the ideas that allowed freedom to be exported all over the world. All right, you're listening to Iran Book Show. We're going to be back right after this break. Israeli military veteran and radical for capitalism. It's the Iran Book Show on the Blaze Radio Network. So we're talking today about what made America great, what makes America great, and, and what that is, is, is this moral idea. It's this moral ideal that the founders had to create a country that protects the rights of individuals, to, to create a country where basically everybody, all of us, are free, free to pursue our own values, free to pursue our own life. And, and we'll be talking throughout about how that manifests itself, how that should manifest itself in our political lives today, and how it's not being, and how nobody out there represents this view, the founder's view. I mean, Thomas Jefferson today would lose an election in a landslide, in a landslide. 
He'd be considered way too radical. Way too radical for either Republicans or Democrats. I mean, who would vote for him? Can you imagine an election between Thomas Jefferson and any of our politicians today? I mean, he'd get crushed. And I think that is the saddest thing in the world. So if we are to resurrect this country, we are to bring it back. We, the people, the voters, need to be educated about what this country is about and need to be in a position where we would elect a Thomas Jefferson. That's what I strive. I strive towards getting to a point where America is the country of the founding, is the country of the founding of, of those first 1776, those thir first 30 years, those ideas that animated the founding fathers. When we can get that, when we can get those ideas embedded in the culture and in the minds and in the understanding of the American people, I'll be happy. We will have been successful. That's my goal in this show. All right, we've got a couple of callers. Let's start with Abatine in, uh, in D.C. Hey, how's it going? Hi there, Yaron. Uh, I'm calling from Washington State, actually. Um, oh, Washington State. So, I, thought, I thought it was D.C. Good. I, I far, far prefer Washington State to Washington, D.C. D.C. <laughs> is my least favorite place, maybe on the planet, certainly in the United States. Oh, it's not good. Um, good. No, so I was listening to the last caller, and you talked about how you're a radical and extremist, and just now you were talking about how you're for individual rights. But I mean, haven't we? We've just heard this so much, right? For years now, they, yeah. all the Republicans seem to agree that oh, we need to repeal Obamacare and that it's bad, and everyone talks about how much they need to do it, and they raise so much money to do it, and now they're all in power, and it still can't get done. Yeah. So, how can we get a change like that? I mean, what is what you're saying different? How is that different? Well, so let's take let's take Obamacare as a good as a good idea on how to differentiate me from these other Republicans. First of all, let me just note I'm not an extremist. I don't like the word extremism. Uh, it, it's a bad word. It's a word that's 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 and, and Mushi I think used it in this way to kind of connotate somebody that shouldn't be listened to. There's way out there. I'm a radical. Radical is is consistency. Yes. I'm out there in a sense, but it's, it's a consistent, it's based on principles. And what's the principle with regard to healthcare in the United States? It's individual rights. I should have a right to choose whatever insurance I want, to go to any doctor I want and negotiate whatever price I want with that doctor. And every doctor in the United States should have a right to refuse service to me because I can't pay him enough or because he just doesn't like me. That's what freedom means. That's what individual rights means. So I am an advocate for 100% private health care. What would that actually mean? That wouldn't mean just repealing Obamacare. That would be step one. Step two, get rid of all insurance regulations on health insurance companies in the United States. Completely establish a free market in health insurance. Get state regulations out of the picture. Get federal regulations out of the picture. Out completely. Close the Department of Health and Human Services at the federal government level. The federal government has no business in the health market, right? Then you have to do away, other, in other words, phase out, and this is where Republicans are going to shiver in their boots and Democrats are going to accuse me of throwing grandmother off the cliff. Phase out over a generation or two, 10, 20, 30 years, phase out Medicare, phase out Medicaid, not make them more efficient, not turn them into block grants, get rid of them. The government has no business in health care. The government should leave us alone. 
to choose our own insurance, our own health care providers, make our own decisions about our own health care. What Republican has ever said that? None. I can guarantee it. None. None of them will ever say that. I remember during the Tea Party period, everybody was clamoring for uh, smaller government and don't tread on me and all this great stuff, right? Really good, good stuff that I was supporting. And then you'd see a big sign by somebody saying, keep your hands off of my Medicare. The largest yeah. redistribution of wealth in human history and, 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 you know, and, and it, the, the biggest social program in the federal government, keep your hands off of that. How are you going to restructure government? How are you going to shrink government spending? How are you going to cut the government debt if you don't touch Medicare? And I'm not talking about reforming Medicare. I'm talking about phasing it out. And there's no Republican who will say that. So I am much more radical than anybody today in politics. And I'm proud of it because I believe that my radicalism is the radicalism of the founding fathers. I don't think anybody in government today, I don't think most of the American people, I think an overwhelming majority of the American people would be quite happy with King George and a stamp tax. Because the fact is that our federal government today taxes us, oppresses us, regulates us, controls us more than King George ever did. And yet, we're not rising up in a revolution. We're not complaining. We're not choosing politicians who will actually really drain the swamp. Not just say but it, but actually that, do it. Isn't that what Donald Trump talked about? That he Well, he said he would, but he never presented a program. He never suggested how he would do it. And all of his actual agenda items, all of his actual policies are status policies, grow government, and, and, and have nothing to do with the protection of individual rights and, and, and increasing freedom in America. Thank you, Abatine. I really appreciate you calling. And I'll have to remember you're from uh, Washington State, not D.C. next time you call. Now, we have another caller, Enric, from San Francisco. Please stay on the line. We've got kind of a long break coming up, but uh, I will get back to you uh, after this break. So we're talking about the essential characteristic of this country, freedom, individual rights. And uh, when we get back from the break, we'll continue our discussion on how that applies to politics and reality today. You're listening to Iran Brookshire. You're listening to the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brooks Show starts now. All right, so we've been talking about what, to make America, what makes America great, what I love about America, and, and what I think are the ideas that we need to resurrect, that we need to bring back from the founding in order to make America great again, so that all of us can live again in the freest country in the world. So all of us, again, can, you know, can benefit from the fact that our rights are protected and not being violated by our government almost every single day. Now, I got a bunch of callers. I don't know what you guys, what's going on out there, but I think we've got like six or seven callers uh, on the line right now. So hold off, guys. I'm going to be doing this every week. Uh, plenty of time to ask questions. Uh, I'm going to stick with the list we have right now, I think, unless we get by these pretty quickly. Although I think everybody has some pretty uh, pretty intense questions, so they might take a little bit to cover. And um, But this is great. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for calling. And uh, keep it up. Keep it up in future shows. Believe me, it's much easier to do radio to do a show when uh, when people are calling it also uh, it, now I, I hope these eight people are not the only ones listening but I assume I assume that's not the case 
All right, let's uh, let's go to Enric in uh, in San Francisco. Hey, Enric, thanks for listening to your Iran Brooks show. What's up? Hi, Iran. Um, I wanted to uh, actually I wanted to talk about uh, how uh, ARI could effectively uh, more effectively uh, communicate its philosophies and ideas. Uh, you can hear me, right? Yeah, I yeah, I can check. hear. You. Okay, great. Um, what? Uh, I think the idea, the philosophy is very important to bring out, and, uh, but the thing is that most people, when they are introduced to Ayn Rand and the ideas, are through the novels and through the concretization of the ideas. And uh, I think a lot fewer people are reading the nonfiction, the philosophy, the, what she wrote in, in the 60s yep. and further on. Yeah. And uh, I think it would be effective to... Uh, focus more on uh, the cultural part of uh, the ideas, bringing those forth through scripts, through novels, through uh, through. So, so what you're suggesting is more people, people go can, out there and write novels and, and and write scripts and make movies and and write music and song lyrics and everything based on these yeah. ideas. And if that's yeah. what you're suggesting, I agree with you. But that's not something that I think an intellectual organization can uh, can oversee. I think that's something that you guys out there need to be doing. I don't want to be in a position, and I'm not going to position to evaluate what is good art and what is not good art, what are good scripts and what are bad scripts. Go out there. You know, Ayn Rand, she started with nothing, wrote some of the greatest books in human history, some of the best-selling books in American history, and made a fortune doing it. And I encourage all of you out there who have talents in those areas to do it. And I think I think that would be a great way uh, that is an essential way and is going to be ultimately necessary to change the world, to, to help change the world. So if, if that's what you mean, I'm with you, but I don't think I don't think I should be guiding the process. I don't know anything about literature. I don't know anything about music. I mean, you know, anything is interesting. But, but you do but have essay little. contests and, and some of this. Uh, I just think uh, some guidance and some uh, support for this would be very important to... Uh, much to bring the ideas much further along. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand that, but I really don't think these are the kind of things that we should be supporting because you got to make it in the marketplace, and that's part of what will evaluate whether it's good or not. Now, if there's specific projects, um, then then let us know and, and let us look at them. Uh, but, you know, I, I think... As an organization, our charter, uh, our mission is to focus uh -huh. in on the intellectual issues and to leave the more aesthetic issues, the other mechanism by which ideas are transmitted, to you, to, to, to other people, maybe to future organizations that do this as a full-time thing. That's huh? not what ARI is structured for. But, but thank you, Henry, right. and thank you for keep thinking about ways in which we can bring America back and bring these ideas to the forefront so that we can, uh, we can really impact and change the world. Thanks, Enric. Okay. Uh, let's, go to, um, let's go to Alan. Alan, are you on, the, on there? Hello, yes. Hey, Alan, how's it going? Hey, you're on good. I wanted to say congratulations on your first show on the Blaze Network. I hope you uh, stay many years. Thank you. And uh, I wanted to see if, just looking forward to the next few weeks, if you have any specific topics in mind already that you wanted to talk about. Well, not really. I mean, I, th I think a lot of this is going to be depending, it's going to depend on the news cycle and, and what's going on. But I do want to introduce the Blaze listeners to some of the core ideas I have 
about different uh, you know policy issues. So there'll definitely be a show in uh, about about foreign policy. There might even be a question soon about the Middle East coming up. One of the callers. So but that'll be a short introduction. But there'll, there'll definitely be like a show on on foreign policy, and there'll be a show on what I mean by economic freedom and how that would apply. There'll be a show on on things like uh, some of the social liberties that I think are being infringed today, like what the NSA is doing and and uh, and and other things like that. And there'll definitely be a show on Donald Trump and why I'm not a fan and why I, I I'm not a fan of really anybody today in politics and what that means, and and on and on. But to a large extent, I want to follow the the, the news cycle because I want to make this a show that people listen to to get. And, and, and a rational Ayn Rand uh, perspective, uh, objectivist perspective on the news, on the events of the day, um, you know, and sprinkled in will include uh, big chunks of philosophy as part of that analysis. Is that a topic you'd like me to be talking about? Uh, I thought about it when I called, and I thought maybe the educational system, and if you think there's anything that could be done to improve that in America and what that might be if you do. Yeah, I mean, that would be a great topic. So, yes, and, and I could do a whole show easily on that. Uh, so, yes, I will definitely be doing a show on, on educational topic. And, and I'll just give everybody just a, a, a teaser for that, and that is that I believe education is like health care. The government has no business in it. Get out of the health get out of healthcare, get out of education, privatize it, sell all the schools. And if people out there, and I'm sure most of the listeners out there care about poor kids and want to make sure that those poor kids get an education, start a foundation, start a charity, make sure they all get scholarships and help them out. Don't, let's not wait for government to solve problems. Let's stop government from solving problems because when they start solving problems, they almost always, always, always make them worse. So, yes, education system is a good one. Healthcare system is a good one. Uh, you know, uh, the whole idea of a welfare state, the whole idea of redistribution of wealth and, and why that's both immoral and impractical, why it's immoral, both because it takes money from people, but also it's bad for the people who receive welfare. And, uh, you know, I'd like to talk a lot about why it's harmful to the recipient. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, no, no end, to, no end to, um, to the ideas for shows, for topics to discuss. Uh, but I'm always open to new ones. So if you have uh, if you have new ideas, give me a call. Let me know. Drop me an email. And by the way, for everybody listening, you can follow me on Twitter. It's Yaron Brook, Y A R O N Brook, B R O O K, just one word, Yaron Brook. And on Facebook, Y Brook, Y B R O O K. You can follow me on both of those. You can send me private messages through both of those, and uh, send me show ideas if you have any ideas for what I should be covering. Argue with me, debate me, contradict me. You know, uh, I want to make this as lively as an interactive as possible. So, uh, so thanks, Alan. Any other ideas before we uh, have to go to a break here soon? You know, I'm, I'm sorry, I only have one. All right, it was a good one. <laughs> thanks, Alan. Appreciate it. You know, we're going to go to break in, a, in, a, in about a minute, and then we'll we'll talk from Stuart from Hawaii, and we've got Rachel from uh, Montana, maybe Montana. Wow. But then we've got Shu. From Malaysia, I think this is my first call ever on any show anywhere from Malaysia, and Roberto from Boring, Virginia. So, uh, so uh, uh, stay tuned uh, after the coming break. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot to talk about, and there's a lot to talk about, again, from this context, from this framework of individual rights, of what would it look like, what would the world look like, what would America look like if it truly 
protected individual rights ex instead of violating it. And the fight for the future of this country, the fight for the future of this country is fundamentally a fight over individual rights, over your right to life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness, and understanding the moral, ethical foundation on which that rests. And we'll have a whole show on that moral foundation. Ayn Rand called it rational egoism, and we'll talk a lot about that. Only show in the world where you'll hear whole segments on rational egoism. You're listening to the Iran Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be right back after this break. PhD, author, media contributor. This is the Yaron Brooks Show. The Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, we're back, and uh, we're going to go to Stuart in a, few, in a couple of minutes, but uh, let me just a uh, few kind of wrap-up points or housekeeping notes if you want. I just realized I used the word objectivism in the last segment for the first time, and for those of you listening who are not familiar with Ayn Rand and not familiar with, with the term, objectivism is Ayn Rand's philosophy. It's the name she gave her philosophy, a philosophy of, of, of reason and reality, reason, rational self-interest. We'll be talking about all those concepts uh, as we go along, uh, you know, during during the weeks to come, the months to come, uh, on this show, and and Ayn Rand was the original radical for capitalism. Uh, she she understood she understood the founding principles of this country, I think, better in some sense than the founders did themselves. She had partially a perspective on it, 150, 200 years perspective on the founding and on the ideas uh, that led to the founding of America, and could articulate an entire philosophy. So to me, Ayn Rand is the first and only truly American philosopher in the sense that Ayn Rand is the first philosopher to defend and, and articulate the case for America as it was at its founding, for America as it should be, as it still can be. And I think, and again, we'll talk about this many, many times, I think that if we're going to save America, we're going to have to do it on the, you know, on the basis of the ideas that many of you probably read in Atlas Shrugged. It is that foundation, that ideological, philosophical foundation that is going to be needed, that radical philosophical foundation that's going to be needed to shake the world up, to shake this country up, to wake it up, to resurrect those political foundational ideas that existed at the founding of America. All right, we got Stuart on the line from Hawaii. Hey, Stuart, how's it going? Aloha. 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 What's up? Yeah. So um, I have a philosophical question for you. So right. I often get into arguments with defenders of the welfare state. And they say to me, you always talk about your precious freedom and private property. But there are, there are starving kids out there. Yep. You know, there are all these human needs going unsatisfied. And they cite Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which says these physiological needs, such as water and food and health care, are the most basic needs. But to me, that sounds off. It seems to me the most basic need is freedom, specifically the freedom of action to access all those other needs, to create the wealth, you know, that satisfies your human needs. And without freedom, uh, that's not accessible to people. So I want to ask yes, you and what I would, you thought. 
Yeah, and I would say even more fundamental than freedom to act, it's the freedom to think so that it, it, it's the ability to use one's reasons to solve problems. Look, the state of humanity in its natural state before capitalism, before the invention of the United States of America, before the idea of individual rights and freedom is poverty. 300 years ago, everybody was poor, everybody. And then in the Enlightenment, during the period of the 18th century, the period in which culminated with the founding of America, the idea of individual freedom, the individual freedom to think, to invent, to create, to build, to make, and to act on those thoughts. The freedom to do all that, the idea that that freedom was a right, that that, that, that freedom should be uninterfered with by government, suddenly came into vogue for a while, and we got the United States of America, and these ideas actually spread across the world in a little bit, and then people suddenly discovered. They started creating, they started building, they started making, and we got an industrial revolution. And a consequence of that industrial revolution is that people got wealthier. So freedom is necessary. It's a necessary feature to get people out of poverty. And then, of course, in Asia, they didn't discover the ideas of freedom until very late, really until about 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And since they discovered the ideas of freedom, they, they discovered capitalism, just a little bit of capitalism. They become relatively rich. So in 1979... Everybody in China, pretty much everybody in China, 99.99% of the Chinese population was dirt poor. Many of them at the verge of starvation. Today, today, there's a massive hundreds of millions of people in middle class. Hundreds of millions of people today can save money. Actually, are living a decent life. In many cases, a really good life. How did that happen? Because China adopted a little bit of freedom as did many of the countries in Asia. When you give people freedom, that is the solution to poverty. So you don't start, you don't start with, uh, you know, with yes, there's, there's wealth and we, we need to redistribute. You have to start with the question of how does wealth get created? Where does wealth come from? And how do poor people, how can they become middle class and, therefore, and then rich? And the only way for that to happen is not through redistribution. Do you know one of the most unreported stories, and this is a travesty, probably the most unreported story of the, last, uh, of the last few years was a report by the United Nations, an organization I almost never, never quote, but in this case I will, a report from the United Nations that said that over the last 30 years, between 1 to 2 billion, billion with a B people, have come out of poverty. I mean... That is the story of the, of, the, of the century. And nobody reports it. And how did they come out of poverty? Because of capitalism, because of freedom, not because of foreign aid, not because of socialism, not because of the redistribution of wealth, but because of a little bit of freedom. So it's because I care about the ambitious poor, because I care about people who want to make their lives better, I'm an, that is one of the reasons that I am an advocate for capitalism. And the people who want socialism, the people who want statism, the people who look to government for all the solutions, they're the ones who don't care about the poor. They're the ones who don't care about making life better for those who would like to make their own life better. Give poor people the opportunities, and you create those opportunities by leaving people free, having a rule of law, you know, establishing the basic ideas of capitalism. That's the way to change the world. 
Does that make sense, Stuart? Yeah, I agree. You know, I think when you look at the past 200 years, capitalism itself is the most effective anti-poverty program. There's, yeah, there's no question. So, so while, while we don't really have capitalism in the fullest sense, in a sense of separation of state from economics, the closer we come to capitalism, the less regulations we have, uh, the, 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 the greater the economic growth, the more wealth is produced and the fewer people are poor. So thank you, Stuart. Really appreciate the call. It's a great question. And again, going to be a theme throughout the show, throughout the Iran book show on the blaze is going to be how capitalism, how capitalism is the solution to really all the problems in the world, all the problems in the world, not just the economic problems. Capitalism is the solution to, you know, to the problems of war, to the problems of terrorism. Ultimately, we'll see how as we go along. But as we respect individual freedom more, as we respect individualism, as we respect the rights and liberties of the American people, in that way, you know, we will stand up more for ourselves and, 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 and solve the problems that are really out there all over. All right, we're, we're going to go to break here in a few minutes, in, in about a minute. Uh, we've got Rachel still and Shu and Roberto, so please stay on the line. Don't hang up. We haven't forgotten about you. We'll be coming to you soon. Uh, so here on this show, we talk about we talk about America. We talk about the basic ideas that will make America great, have make America great, and will continue to make America great. So uh, stay tuned. We're going to be back after this break and talk to Rachel from Montana about the Middle East foreign policy. I've got a lot to say about that. You're listening to Ron Book Show. We'll be right back. You won't hear traditional political views here. This is the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Yaron Brook. I should have said this earlier, but happy Father's Day. Uh, I don't know what you guys are doing for Father's Day. Hopefully, this thing to the show, and uh, I'll be going out to dinner with my son and my wife later tonight, and uh, actually going to a jazz concert as well. So uh, today, today's going to be a full stacked but uh, but fun day, and uh, hope hope you guys are having a good time as well. Let me just say something about freedom. It, we're going to talk a lot about freedom, about individual rights, but I want to make it clear that at the foundation of all of this, at the foundation of all of this, is an idea. An idea that each one of us is capable of reasoning, of thinking, of discovering truths about the world. I believe strongly, I think this is true, the only way to know, the only way to achieve truth is through the use of human reason, not revelation, not mysticism, not any of that. You need to think, think, think. And the only way for the human mind to function well to be able to explore, to be able to discover new ideas, to be able to experiment, to be able to be stretched, to be able to really integrate new ideas so that we can live a, a productive, good, healthy, wonderful life is when it is free, when it is left alone. And not just free, 
not just free from force, but free from authority, free from this idea that there's somebody out there that has the truth and I need to be passive and accept what they say. No, it's your responsibility as an individual, every single one of you, to discover the truth for yourself. Not a subjective truth. I only think there's one truth. But it's your responsibility to discover that truth. It's your responsibility. It's your senses. It's your mind. It's your reasoning faculty. Don't accept me or anybody else as an authority over what is true and what is not. All right. With that said, let's go to the Middle East. Hey, Rachel from Montana. You want to talk about the Middle East? Hi, Aaron. Yes, thanks so much. Rachel, sure. um, my question is about Qatar and the marginalization of Qatar <laughs> by the other Middle Eastern countries. I always viewed Qatar as kind of a beacon of capitalism in the Middle East, and now all the other countries seem to be turning on it with regards to terrorism. I was hoping you could decipher that for me through an objective lens. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's, going to require, it's going to require some time for me to completely untangle that. But let me just say this. Qatar is no beacon for capitalism. Qatar, like all that region, is a pretty primitive place that relies solely on, on revenue generated from, um, from oil and gas and, and the shipping of oil and gas. And I don't think they, they do much refining there, but it's primarily they've got oil and gas reserves. It's ruled by the equivalent of a king, by an emir. It, there's no freedom, not, not in essential terms. There's no uh, real free speech. There's no real any kind of social freedoms. And it's not clear to me that there are real economic freedoms. At the end of the day, you're at the behest of the king of Qatar. So I would never think of any of those countries as really any kind of fundamental sense capitalist. Now, Qatar is also one of the main funders of terrorism in the world. I mean, we've known this for a long, long time. And this is part of the, the contradiction that exists there, right? They have they funded Al-Qaeda. They have funded ISIS. They funded Hamas and Hezbollah. They are funders of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. And they host all these people. So if, you, if you're a Hamas leader and you want to feel safe, you go to Qatar. If you're, because, because you're, you're there safer, I guess, from the Israelis. If you're Muslim Brotherhood and the Egyptians are clamping down on the Muslim Brotherhood, you go to Qatar and they'll give you a platform and a microphone. Qatar hosts one of the most radical, radical is a bad word, one of the most uh, militant uh, of all Islamic uh, thinkers and speakers. I forget his name, but he's in Qatar. What's that? Yusuf Qaradawi. Yes. And of course, on top of that, and this is, the, this is the contradiction. This is the nuttiness of this world. The United States Central Command, which is responsible for all operations in the Middle East, all the way through India, uh, that whole region of, of, of Southern Asia and, and all of the Middle East, and is centered in Qatar. We have a military base there, an Air Force base, with 11,000 troops. Most of the flights against ISIS are launched off of Qatar. So on the one hand... They're a massive ally of ours because we have this military presence there and we have central command and everything. On the other hand, they're funding the very terrorists we're fighting. So they're the enemy. Qatar is the enemy. And then, so it's, it's what a mess. And then just to, just to illustrate this, in the last week or so, or the last two weeks or so, uh, President Trump has said Qatar is a major funder of terrorism. And then... Like five days later, ten days later, they announced a huge weapons sale. The United States is selling Qatar 
a massive number of weapons. So what the hell? I mean, it, it's, it's completely nutty. Our, our foreign policy, the United States foreign policy in the Middle East is completely, unequivocally suicidal, nutty, crazy, insane. Because Saudi Arabia also funds terrorism. So it's not like I'm on the side of Saudi Arabia versus Qatar. I think they're both the enemy. I think they were the enemy after 9-11 and they still are the enemy. So to really analyze Qatar, we need a lot more time than we have today. So let's leave that for a future show. Uh, there is a podcast I did on Qatar a few weeks ago, so you can find it on iTunes if you look under your Ron Brooks show on iTunes. But um, there's a lot more to say about it. But just think of all the contradictions. The, the fact that they fund terrorism and we have a military base and, and, and we sell them weapons and all of that. And the, the fact that Saudi Arabia also funds terrorism. So why are we even taking sides and why don't we view them both as enemies and finally destroy them so that ISIS and Al-Qaeda you know, fade into history, and, and ultimately the American government does its job, which is protect American citizens. Okay, that was a rant. Uh, did I answer your question, Rachel? You, you did. I mean, if, <laughs> if I have time for a quick follow-up, it would be, you know, Israel would be considered a beacon of capitalism in the Middle East, would it not? Relatively speaking, yes, a beacon of freedom, a beacon of capitalism, a beacon of rights, and that's why I'm unequivocally, well, not unequivocally, with some, with some hesitation, because Israel's not completely free, I'm a huge supporter of Israel, and I think any freedom-loving human being on the planet should be a big supporter of Israel in an area hostile to freedom, hostile to rights, hostile to capitalism, hostile to reason in a mystical, totally mystical area. Israel is the one beacon of freedom, of reason, of rationality, of science, of engineering, and of individual rights. Um, so yes, I think we should all be pro-Israel. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you for calling. Um, we got two more callers. Let me just take Shu and at least get her question in. Hey, Shu, how's it going? And then I might have to answer you after the break. You there? Uh, yeah, I'm here. So my question is, uh, can, you, can you hear me? Hello? Yes, I can. Can hear you perfectly. Yeah, all right. Uh, so since I'm from Asia, I wanted to ask you if you see any Asian countries or any other country anywhere around the world except for maybe the Americas or maybe South America, yep. um, any other countries that are trending towards capitalism. And, uh, and since I live near Malaysia, I see Singapore, which is like the neighbor of Malaysia. Uh, I see them as like very capitalist, although there's yep. massive contradictions with like... There are massive like, contradictions uh, in Singapore as well. Yeah, so 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 yeah, they don't have freedom of speech, for example. Yes, and, I know. Um, I know. So let me try to answer yeah, this so, quickly, uh, uh, because we don't have a lot of time. I have to go to break in like thirty seconds. Let me say that yes, they are. There are certainly countries in Asia, even in Africa, that are trending towards greater freedom and a little bit more capitalism. Less so in Europe, and certainly not the United States. The United States is not trending in that direction at all. It's trending towards more statism, more socialism, more controls. Asia has been trending over the last few decades toward capitalism. That's why, uh, you know, one to two billion people have come out of poverty. That's why they're so much richer. Um, so capitalism works, and countries who adopt capitalism, the individuals in those countries do well. Countries who don't, the individuals in those countries do poorly. I think you in Malaysia can see it by the range of outcomes that you see across Asia based on the extent to which the country has taken on capitalism. All right, we have to go to a quick break. You're listening to your Ron Brooks show on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be right back after this.
This is the Yaron Brooks Show. The Blaze Radio Network. This is the Yaron Brooks Show. All right, this is the final segment of the first Yaron uh, Brooks Show on the Blaze ever. I hope you've been enjoying it. I hope you'll uh, you'll dial back in and come back and listen every Sunday, uh, eleven to one Pacific time, and uh, and get engaged. Lots of callers today. That's exciting. That's a lot of fun. And um, also, you can uh, let your friends know about the show. Let everybody know. Let them uh, come listen live, dial in. But also, you can download the show. It'll be up on YouTube. It'll be on uh, Stitcher. It'll be on SoundCloud. It'll be on. YouTube, it'll be on pretty much every format known to modern 21st century mankind. Uh, so no excuses not to be able to listen to. You can also follow me, for those of you who are new, on Twitter, Yaron Brook, Y-A-R-O-N-B-R-O-O-K, and Facebook, Y Brook. All right, we're going to go quickly to Roberto, and I've got a few calls here to wrap it up, and we're gonna, I'm going to have to give you short answers, but we're going to continue all these topics, the topics we'll pick up on future shows. So, Roberto from Virginia, how are things going? Good day. How are you? Everything I'm is well good. over here. Good, good. Yes, sir. Uh, I just want to say happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Um, my question is actually, um, your sentiments actually align very much with um, the anarchist capitalist um, groups. Um, and I just want to know, what are your sentiments towards that? Um, towards I disagree the with the anarcho-capitalists completely. I don't think my ideas align with them at all. I am not an anarchist. I believe strongly, philosophically, that government is a necessary good, that you have to have government, and indeed that anarchy will always lead, always lead to statism and to authoritarianism. I also believe in objective law, that there is a standard for right law and wrong law, that there is a standard for right and wrong generally, and therefore you have to have an institution, the, the court system and a legislature to legislate that codify those objective laws. You can't just leave it up to the so-called market to determine what is right and what is wrong when it comes to coercion. So, no, I, I don't believe in anarchy. I, again, I believe that the government is there to protect individual rights, that individual rights are, are, are an objective idea about individual freedom, and that we need that protection, that we can't leave that protection up to the so-called marketplace. Marketplaces don't exist where force exists. And unless you eradicate force first, a marketplaces will become places where the biggest gun wins. And I don't want to live in a world like that. I would never want to live in, a, in an anarchist world. I don't want to be parachuted into Somalia. I would much rather live today in America than in anarchist Somalia any day. Gotcha. Well, the reason why I ask that is, um, I mean, you know, um, anarchist capitalists actually disagree with the um, form of taxation. They believe that taxation is a big form of theft uh, done by government, and the redistribution sure. of wealth is very immoral. Um, one thing I could share with you is uh, Wendell Pierce, uh, actor from um, The Wire, HBO series, yep. Um, yep. talked about how a form of anarchism uh, existed during the Jim Crow days in black communities, and they were able to actually allocate resources yeah. and also build a strong Roberto, middle class. Let's, let's leave this topic of anarchism to, to show where I can devote real time to this, because it's going to be hard to answer you in the like three minutes I've got left in the show. 
So I really appreciate the, the call, but, and I will devote a show in the future to this whole issue of anarchism and was anarchism under Jim Crow and anarchism in, in, in international trade today and other things. I, I appreciate the call. I will be discussing it, but let me, let's be clear. I, I don't believe if I was offered an alternative between anarchism and, and almost any other form of government, I would choose almost any other form of government. And certainly <laughs> capitalism, free markets, the founding of America, the very idea of a government focused on individual rights, in my view, is the best form of government, far, far superior to any form of anarchism uh, in the world out there. All right, let's go quickly to Russell, uh, who wants to talk about another huge topic called progressivism. But I'll, I'll try to answer it in a soundbite and then make a closing remark. Hey, Russell, how's it going? I'm good. How are you, Mr. Brooks? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, my question is, uh, what is what is the goal of the progressive movement like, that I started that started under Teddy Roosevelt? Like I've seen them, you know, from the Great Depression forward, you know, starting Social Security, Medicare. Like, sure. I come sure. To well, let's the... yeah. So let, let's talk about quickly a soundbite progressivism, right? Something you could talk about for hours and hours and hours. Progressivism's goal is ultimately to destroy the very foundation of what America was built upon. It is to destroy the concept of individualism and to embed in America the notion of collectivism, the notion of the group as primary over the individual. Progressivism's whole idea is the individual doesn't count. The whole point of the individual is to serve the group. And that's why they try to make the individual dependent on the group through Social Security, through Medicare, through regulations, through controls, through expanding government, even through the advocacy of warfare in the name of the state. So progressivism is, a, is ultimately a European ideology brought to America in the name of trying to destroy what was uniquely American, the individualism, the focus on individual rights, and the focus on, li on, on limited government that was America. So it is the beginning of the end of America. I, I consider Teddy Roosevelt and then Wilson as, may, as, as two of the worst presidents in American history because they embedded progressivism into American society. Thanks, Russell. Really appreciate the call. Sorry we don't have more time to talk. But I really, I like have 45 seconds before we break. So it's fine. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody who listened today for listening to my uh, my first show on The Blaze. Many, many more to come. Hopefully, I think what you'll be hearing in the future is a really unique perspective on the world. You're listening to Iran Book Show and... Uh, Talk to you next week. Find the principles of rational self-interest and individual rights on your radio. It's the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network.